Patriots have an unsolvable problem. We'll get to that in a second. Also touch on the Celtics. They get some good news as we get ready for camp. And then we'll circle back to the Patriots and discuss Christian Gonzalez. So last week against the Jets, tale of two halves, the Patriots offense. And if you look at the first half and second half, one of the major differences was third down. What did the team do on third down? The first half did well. I mean, Mac Jones converted like six of 10 third downs in the first half. But in the second half, it was a completely different story. In the second half on third down, the Patriots went two for nine. Obviously, that is not nearly good enough. And when we think back to Sunday and we think back to those third downs, I think we immediately get some Juju Smith-Schuster PTSD, right? (laughs) No, no more Juju. Enough of Juju. Enough. We get that PTSD from Smith-Schuster. But is this third down offense actually a big problem? And is it an unsolvable problem for the Patriots? Let's jump into that. First, it is a problem. There's no doubt in my mind the third down offense is a problem, even though some of the numbers would lead you to believe that it's not a problem. Again, context matters with this show. We do the work. We dig in. And if you look at the third down issues, you could say they're not big issues just yet. Not necessarily a big problem just yet, but if this continues, if some of the things that we've seen through the first three weeks of this season continue on third down, it is going to become a big problem, and it's going to become a big problem soon. So overall, big picture, when you look at the Patriots' third down offense, they're 13th in the league as far as conversion rate. So not terrible. Middle of the pack, 13th in the league, converting third downs to first down. So again, not terrible. However... To be fair and to lend context to this conversation, we look at the level of competition. Obviously, the Patriots have played two really good football teams, two of the best football teams in the NFL right now in Philadelphia and Miami. And then they played the Jets last week with Zach Wilson. We went through that. But if you look at those three teams, even though Miami and Philadelphia are much much better teams right now overall than the Jets, The third down defense from those three teams would tell you a different story because it's pretty similar. It's eerie. Look at the third down defense. I gave you the third down offensive conversion rate for the Patriots. When you look at the teams they faced, let's start with Philadelphia. Philadelphia has the 25th ranked third down defense when it comes to conversion rate, i.e. they give up third downs. They have not been great in that category. How's Miami? Miami's 23rd in the NFL in third down defense. How about the Jets? The Jets defense, very good, right? Well, we mentioned against the Cowboys in week two, the Jets defense gave up nine out of 18 third downs. That's a high number. And when you look at the Jets third down uh, conversion defense, 22nd in the league. So the Jets are 22nd, Miami's 23rd, and Philadelphia's 25th. So the Patriots, yes, They're right about the middle of the pack when it comes to third down offense conversion rate at 13th in the league. But they have faced three defenses that are in the bottom third of the NFL when you talk about third down defense and and what they've been able to do. So when you look inside of the numbers, the Patriots should be better than 13th when it comes to third down offense given the teams that they've played, the defenses that they've faced but they're sitting in the middle of the pack against those three defenses. But not all hope is lost. 
there are possible solutions, possible things the Patriots can do to help out this problem that we don't want to turn into a big problem. So I'm going to look at some of the issues and why the Patriots' third-down offense has not necessarily been great given the level of competition they faced. And then we'll go over some of the possible uh, solutions that they have here in-house. First, biggest issue, and I think all of us know this right off the bat. We all know it, right? Biggest issue is that the Patriots don't have a true number one legitimate weapon that the quarterback can count on when you absolutely need it. Big time third down, fourth down conversions, drives when you're trying to end the game. Mac Jones, as of right now, doesn't have that true number one guy. He's got guys he can throw the football to, but do you trust any of them to beat coverage, make a tough catch in coverage, and move the chains? Do you, do you trust any of those guys to consistently do that? When you look around the rest of just the AFC, I tweeted this out yesterday at Nick C Radio if you want to follow me. I tweeted this out yesterday. If you're a team, right, in the AFC, and you have a big-time third down that you need to convert, you're the quarterback. Who's your guy? About 75% of the AFC quarterbacks have that guy, if not a couple of guys. Miami have Hill and Waddle. Buffalo has Diggs. The Jets have Garrett Wilson. KC has Kelsey. Vegas has Adams. The Chargers have Keenan Allen. Even the Ravens, not the greatest passing attack the last couple of years. They still have Mark Andrews. Maybe, you know, somebody by the name of Zay Flowers is going to help that as well. Then you've got Cleveland with Amari Cooper. Eh, you can give or take that one. Jamar Chase in Cincinnati. Michael Pittman for Indy, Indianapolis. And if you saw what happened with the Colts last week, Pittman made a spectacular catch in overtime in traffic, got hit, helmet went flying, came down with the football. Michael Pittman Jr. I love him on the Patriots. Jacksonville has Calvin Ridley. Oh, and if that's not working, you got Christian Kirk in Tennessee. Even though Tennessee's offense has been bad and Ryan Tannehill has been bad, they have faced two of the top five defenses in football so far. And I would say DeAndre Hopkins is still that guy. And as a matter of fact, the only win Tennessee has this year, guess who caught the pass on third down in overtime to set up the game-winning field goal by Nick Folk? Oh, yeah, that's DeAndre Hopkins. So when you look at about 75% of the teams in the AFC, they have a true legitimate number one stud guy. And I might be missing one or two others. The Patriots, Hunter Henry, good player, not great player. Tight end, you can do things to kind of take him away, especially on third downs. Juju Smith-Schuster, we saw how that worked out last week. Devontae Parker, did he even play on Sunday? I jest. I know he did. Ramondre Stevenson might be able to help you out. Well, he dropped the big-time third down early in that game, that pass. I think it was the second drive of the game, if not the first. Stevenson had that huge drop. So a big issue within the third down offensive issue is that Mac and this offense, they don't truly have a number one guy that you can count on week in, week out, snap in, snap out. To go along with that idea, they lack separation from any of these receivers. And, and this has really been an issue since going back to like 2019, right? Going back to 2019, Brady's last season, 
the Patriots have consistently had an issue with getting receivers and tight ends, if you want to include them, but mostly receivers and mostly guys on the outside, but they've had an issue with finding receivers that can separate. And so you don't have a true number one. You don't have a true number one in part because there's really no receiver on this team outside of Pop Douglas. We'll get to him later on. There's not really any receiver on this team that can separate from, from coverage. You think that's a little bit of an issue? I do. Could be a big-time issue, especially when you talk about defenses that play man. And when the Patriots have faced defenses that play man, and you saw this against the Jets last weekend, teams know what to do. They're going to press these wide receivers on the outside. They're going to press Patriots wide receivers. They're going to kind of clog up the middle of the field. They're going to play man, and they're going to say, hey, beat us if you can. Beat us one-on-one because we don't believe Devontae Parker is going to be able to do that. We don't believe Juju is going to be able to do that. We don't believe that Kendrick Bourne is consistently going to be able to do that. And those defenses, for the most part, have been right. Another issue is the fact that Mac Jones takes these deep shots. And look, all of you know by now how I feel about Mac. I think he's got a 12 to 15 ceiling when you talk about quarterback rankings in the league. He's not a guy that's going to carry you. You can win with him, but you're not going to win at the highest of levels because of him. I've stayed consistent from day one about Mac on that. One thing that Mac does that'll drive you crazy and that has caused some problems. And this is not every single third down, and it's not every single third down throw, and it's not every single third down throw that seems like he's just taking a shot. But he does at times take these low percentage shots downfield. We've seen it multiple times. Michael Hurley, who I respect a lot in what he does and what he writes about, he wrote this. On five third downs when the Patriots needed between three and six yards, Jones threw deep. The passes fell incomplete. None really had a chance. Now, again, not all of these shots, quote-unquote, are equal. The two shots to Juju Smith-Schuster in the fourth quarter, Jets are playing man coverage. They're clogging the middle. Mac doesn't really have any other options, so what he does is he tries to throw back shoulder to his receiver to at least give him a chance because Juju doesn't have enough separation to go over the top. Juju doesn't figure that out, and Juju doesn't play the back shoulder, and it's just a waste of a couple of plays on big downs that you needed. So not all of those downfield throws on third down are equal from Mac, but he does at times take useless shots down the field on third down. And he he has to be occasionally doing that and giving your guy a chance to win on the outside is okay. And if there's nothing underneath and there's nothing else going on, because guess what? Your offense doesn't separate enough and you've got to throw the football somewhere. I get it. But the kind of casual pre-snap nonchalant, I'm just going to chuck it and duck it. That has to stop. Early down run game would help as well. And that was better against the Jets. If they continue to run the football as well as they did in the second half against the Jets, then these third down problems that have come up, they will start to slowly fade away because now you're looking at third and two, third and three. That's much more manageable than third and five, third and six, third and seven when you have the offensive 
weapons, quote unquote, that Mac has. Finally, you got to look at pressure. That's been a big problem because if you play man, if you're playing man, you can mess around up front as well, right? See, everything, every issue leads to another issue. Every obstacle leads to another obstacle. You don't have a true number one guy that you feel comfortable going to because you don't have anybody that can consistently separate other than maybe pop. We'll still get to him in a few minutes. So defenses play man, knowing that you can't consistently separate at receiver. And then because they play man, that clogs up the middle of the field, which makes it tougher to go to the tight ends. And on top of that, because they're playing man, you can also mess around and send some pressure and, and really kind of attack the Patriots offensive line and get to Mac. And that's what we have seen. Even last week, even last Sunday, again, I've said this, the offensive line played better. The eye test tells you that, and the stats tell you that. However, don't get it twisted. It's not like the offensive line was spectacular on Sunday. Trent Brown was excellent. David Andrews was excellent. The rest of the O-line, eh, eh. Strange, sent to the bench, whether it was because of injury or play, had to be subbed in for Antonio Maffi. He wasn't good. Strange wasn't good when he was in there, right? Owenu was okay. Wasn't great, was okay. And for Darian Lowe, we talked about him yesterday. So when you look at the Patriots' protection, pass protection, it's not great. Ben Baldwin on X does a great job. The computer cowboy, he, he gathers all of these stats. When you combine pro football focus, the numbers of pass protection from them, with sports info solutions and the ESPN pass block win rate, okay? So when you combine, when you look at pass protection and you combine pro football focus, sports info solutions, and ESPN's pass block win rate, the Patriots are 31st in the NFL in pass protection. 31st. Let me see. There's 32 teams in the league last time I checked. That ain't good. The only team that's been worse, and I best you can get you can guess this given what we talked about last week, later in the week, right? And what we just saw on Sunday, the only team that has been worse in pass protection in the NFL this year than you have been, the New York Jets. And that's using pro football focus, sports info solutions, and the ESPN pass block win rate. So you just can't say, oh, yeah, PFF, those grades suck, blah, 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 blah. We're talking about three, three analytical systems combined tell you that the Patriots have the second worst pass blocking offensive line in the league through three weeks. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, posted on X. Mac Jones wasn't sacked against the Jets, but he was under pressure on over a third of his dropbacks, and that has been a consistent issue. So now you have the problems and why third down offense has been inconsistent, and maybe when you look at, again, conversion rate, it's misleading. Here are some possible things that can solve this issue before it becomes a big, big issue. Number one, Better offensive line. I'm going to sound like a broken record. The big guys play better up front. They protect the quarterback better. He will be able to step into his throws. He will have time to find his second, third option on these third down routes. Better offensive line play will go a long way. Secondly, play Pop Douglas more. Again, broken record. Pop Douglas is the only wide receiver that can consistently get some separation off the line of scrimmage. He's the only guy you have on this roster that can do that. He needs to play more. Playing him less than 20 snaps is ridiculous. 
Also ridiculous. Why in the blue hell is Ty Montgomery on this team if he's not going to play much? If he's going to be out there on special teams trying to block field goals or extra points or whatever the hell he's doing, what is the point? You can't find somebody else who can do that? Ty Montgomery, I thought, was going to be a decent third down back option. You got Ramondre dropping footballs. You want to manage Zeke because he's a little bit older and he has a lot of tread on those tires. You've got Ty Montgomery just sitting there in mothballs, wasting away. How about you put him out there for a couple of third downs? The guy played wide receiver for a long time in the NFL. Do you think he could help a little bit? I don't understand why Montgomery hasn't been seen in the back of a milk carton. Ramondre Stevenson has to improve. That would help as well. I think Bill O'Brien is is trying to put these pieces together and figure out what he's doing. Uh, But it's going to be very, very tough. A tough task to scheme up things against man coverage. You can do some bunch formations and all of that. You can maybe run, you know, some, some different things. We saw last week more under center, more play action. I think that will, will become a thing as time moves forward here. But it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a difficult challenge for the Patriots to be a, a good to very good third down offense because of the lack of separation. And when you play against a team that can play man coverage, that issue is not going to go away. I mean, you're at the point where you're crossing your fingers that the sixth round pick can help you convert third downs. That's not where you want to be. As high as I am on Pop, as much as I like him. All right, don't forget to like, rate, review, leave your comments, Spotify, Apple Pods, YouTube, also YouTube subscribers. Very important. The thumbs up button that you see, if you like what you're watching or listening to and or listening to, you can give us that thumbs up on YouTube. It goes a long way. A couple more things I want to get to. Now, uh, I, I said this earlier in the week on the pod. I'm going to start next week, every Wednesday, doing a Celtics podcast. It's called Cattles on Causeway. I'll circle back to the Patriots and Christian Gonzalez in a few minutes. But we're going to do Cattles on Causeway every Wednesday, dig in on the Celtics, and just have a little bit more time to look into the seas because I'm very passionate about the team. I love talking basketball. I love talking Celtics. So that's going to start happening next Wednesday, October 4th, Cattles on Causeway. Be on the lookout for that. I'll have updates as far as links and all of that at Nick C Radio on X. Okay, speaking of the Celtics, we got some really good news this morning about Malcolm Brogdon and Kristaps Porzingis. Both guys are ready to go, according to Brad Stevens. He spoke to Gary Washburn of The Globe, and he said that both guys are healthy enough, and he expects both of them to be out there when camp begins next week. There's been lots of questions about Malcolm Brogdon. Is he upset? What's the relationship like between him and the team? Well, Stevens talked about that to Washburn. He acknowledged that Brogdon may be upset about how the summer has gone with the trade talks with the Clippers, trade falling through, the elbow stuff coming out, all of those reports. The Celtics front office leaders said both sides are working toward the season now. Here's what Stevens told Washburn regarding Brogdon. Of course, I would say he had every right to feel upset. We said that this summer, but he's a real pro. And so we've had several discussions. He's looking forward to getting started. We're looking forward to getting started. And here we go. So, yes, they've had several discussions. I I don't read too much into that. What do you expect? The guy was traded. He was traded until the Clippers said, "Eh, you know what? We can't get a doctor out there to look at him. So we're not comfortable. We're not going to pull the trigger on this deal. That gets out. Yeah, I'm not thrilled that I was traded and then have to go back to a team that 
you know, wanted to trade me. Doesn't make me super happy. I talked about this on a pod a, a week or two ago. Brogdon shouldn't anticipate or expect to be untouchable, but it still doesn't make you feel good when a team's trying to trade you. And then all the elbow stuff came out. I'd be pissed if I was Brogdon about that. People are telling, you know, everyone else out there in the world that I'm damaged goods. Bleep you, right? I'd be pissed. But he's a pro. As Steven said, he's a pro. And reputation matters. Malcolm Brogdon does not want to destroy his reputation around the league. If he sat out, if he lollygagged this, if he punted on this season with a team that is seen as one of three, four, five championship contenders as we head into camp, if he sits out, that is going to damage his reputation. And I don't think Brogdon, who has plenty of years left, I don't think he's interested in absolutely slicing and dicing his rep around the league by sitting out. I just, I don't see it. I said that a week or two ago. I still feel that way. His reputation matters. Also, he's not playing for Brad Stevens night in and night out. Kind of, sort of, he is. But really what he's doing is he's playing for his teammates. He's playing for his coaching staff. The front office, the ownership, they're going to do what they're going to do. You play because you want to win. You play because you pride yourself in being a good teammate. You play for the guys who are sitting next to you on the bench. You play for the guys who are coaching you. Don't worry about Brad Stevens. Basketball tips off. You got to go. You got to play for your teammates. You got to play for your coaching staff. And I think Brogdon will do just that. He wants a ring. Everybody wants a ring. And he knows he has a legitimate shot at winning a ring with this Celtics team. I don't think it's going to be a problem. And by the way, if Brogdon is butthurt and say it destroys your locker room, you have much bigger problems than Malcolm Brogdon. If you can't handle Malcolm Brogdon being a little upset about an offseason trade that fell through and some of these reports about his injury, if you can't get through that as a team, if Malcolm Brogdon is the end-all be-all to your season because he's a little upset, that speaks volumes about Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Joe Mazzulla, Al Horford, the leadership of this team, of this franchise. If you can't get over that, then you have a much bigger problem than Malcolm Brogdon being a little upset about these trade talks and these reports during the offseason. You should be able to get through that with not much of an issue. And they need him. They need Brogdon. They need size in the backcourt coming off the bench. They need his playmaking. They need his shooting. They need Brogdon. He, he's one of those guys that if it's six seconds left on the clock, and you've got nothing going offensively, he can create something offensively. He can score for you. We saw that time and time again last year, and I think the C's need that off the bench, maybe even desperately. He's a big piece, big piece. All right, let's jump to a, a quick Porzingis update. I'm going to have more in-depth thoughts on Porzingis joining this team uh, in the Cattles on Causeway debut episode next week but here's the update from stevens on porzingis chris Stapps has been running up and down the court the last few days i thought the progression that his trainers uh, had there in latvia our trainers here and everybody came up with to get him back he could avoid anything lingering was a key he feels great i just literally talked to him on the phone on my way here he said he feels good so porzingis feeling good and here's just the one thing I'll say about Chris Stapps. Again, we'll get more in depth next week on Cattles on Causeway. 
Wednesday. But uh, if if Chris Stapps plays 65, 70 games and he is healthy for the postseason, that's all that matters. The rest will fall in place. That's how I feel about Porzingis and his addition. As long as he's healthy, and that means 65, 70 games, you don't need him to play 75, 80 games. You, know, you don't need to play him 82 nights. It's 2023, 20, 24. That ain't going to happen anyway. If he can give you 65 to 70 games of health and he's ready to go in the postseason, you're looking pretty good. All right, let's wrap up by circling back to the Patriots. Rate, review, like, subscribe to the pod, the Nick Cattle Show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Everything counts for me. This is an individual effort. I'm going at it on my own. Uh, every eyeball matters. Every ear matters. So if you're watching, please give me that like on YouTube. That's how the algorithm works. Comment. Those help as well. Subscriptions, all that stuff. All right. I want to talk about Christian Gonzalez and another rookie on this team for the last few minutes here. One of the brightest spots unequivocally of this season so far through three weeks is Christian Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez has been a stud and that's not hyperbolic. Gonzalez has shown us the ability to shut down some of the better receivers in the league. And if you believe in pro football focus in their grading system, then pro football focus currently has Gonzalez as the number one graded rookie from that first round we saw in April. He's number one out of 31. He is their top graded rookie out of the first round through three weeks. Also, pro football focus has Gonzalez as the fifth highest graded cornerback in the NFL, in the entire NFL. And some might say, oh, well, you know, Gonzalez, yeah, he's been good, but who has he faced? Well, if you say that, you haven't been watching, you haven't been paying attention because Gonzalez has jumped into the deep end right from week one. I mean, he has been challenged by some of the best receivers in football. The fact that he is being considered one of the better corners through the first three weeks, given the level of competition that he has had to face, I don't think, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Christian Gonzalez has done even better than we anticipated. He has actually exceeded the expectations, and those expectations were pretty high given the fact that many people thought he should have been a top 10 pick. He has exceeded those expectations three weeks in. He has gone against A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. Last week it was Garrett Wilson. These are some of the best receivers in football. And when you look at all the stats put together, Evan Lazar broke down each matchup, Gonzalez versus each of those receivers I just named. And when you put all of the stats together, Christian Gonzalez against Brown, Smith, Hill, Waddell, and Wilson, 74 routes have been run against Gonzalez by those receivers. Out of those 74 routes, you have 10 catches for over uh, for 102 yards, a pass breakup, and an interception. Andrew Callahan posted this on X yesterday. Cowboys offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer talking about Christian Gonzalez. Quote, if there's a better young corner in the league than Gonzalez, you'd be hard-pressed to find him. He's playing at a really high level. Christian Gonzalez has been one of the best corners in football through the first three weeks. And when you think about the circumstances, when you think about the context of that, his level of play, Versus the level of competition that he has faced, a murderer's row of some of the best receivers in football, the level of play that we have seen from Christian Gonzalez 
on top of not just the competition he's faced, but let's not forget the Patriots defense is not the easiest defense to learn. The disguising, a lot of things that they do on that side of the football, not always easy for a rookie just to jump in and figure it out. And Gonzalez has done a tremendous job of doing just that. On top of that, Gonzalez has played like one of the best corners in football without Jonathan Jones for two games, without Jack Jones for three games, and without Marcus Jones for a game and a half. He has needed to be this good, and he has stepped up and he has balled out so far. Can't say enough good things about Christian Gonzalez and what he has done with his time in the league so far. It's early, but he has been fantastic. Absolutely freaking fantastic. Maybe picking the best player available in a draft in a first round actually works. One more rookie note I want to make, and it could be a significant note before we say goodbye to you on this hump day. Hump day? So Daniel Equale has been ushered out, torn biceps, done for the season. It opens the door for Keon White. If you are somebody that is excited about White like I am, and you have seen, yeah, he has things to learn. He's a rookie. He hasn't played a ton of snaps, but the snaps that he has played, he has already made a number of impactful plays. And you hate to see a guy like Aguale go down because he's been good in the sub-pass rush role. However, this opens the door for White, and if it means that White plays much, much more, and you see that impact, and it gets Keon White going, where when you get to November, now Keon White is a vital piece of the package defensively. That's the silver lining. If you're like me and you want to see more of Keon White, I think we're going to see more of White. And that should be fun. Like, rate, review, thumbs up, subscribe, all of those things. Nick Cattle Show every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, about 30 minutes each one. Don't forget, Cattle's on Causeway begins next Wednesday on October 4th. Tomorrow, as we usually do here on the show, Thursday, football season, we start to dig into the matchup. Of course, we're talking Cowboys Patriots. We'll talk about that and more tomorrow. Everybody else out there that's listening in the world, enjoy your day.